you were asking me how the family is, how the children are and how they all are. Yeah, they're all really good. Uh, how do they feel about me being um, apparently rich? I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know. Um, they all seem to spend a lot of money. I think I'm more tired than I am rich. It's probably the case. <laughs> At the moment. That's Martin Webb, our first guest. Martin just sold his SaaS startup to a billion-dollar private equity firm in the U.S. this year. Hey, welcome to the Small Fish Big Money podcast. I'm your host, Mina Fong. In this world where big fishes seem to dominate, this podcast uncovers the amazing wins small fishes can create. We dive into the candid conversations with solo founders and brilliant investors who have beaten the odds and make big money while doing it. Simply put, how do they play the game and win the game? If they can't play the game, how do they make the game and still win the game? Let's get right into the conversation with Martin. Martin, thank you for coming on the Small Fish Big Money Podcast as our very first guest. And Thank you this, for inviting me as your very first guest. And as I've mentioned to you before, this podcast is for founders and investors who believe in building cash flow first startups so that they can build their wealth and get even bigger money or bigger funding or exit along the way. So this is part of the movement I would like to get going. First of all, congratulations on your recent exit, selling your startup to a private equity firm. Have yep, you bought you. a boat for your family yes. yet? Yes, I have bought a boat. I did buy a boat. I hadn't. I uh, yeah, no. I live. I live in Brazil. Out, out the window here, it's not too far. It's probably a hundred meters to the Amazon River, which is enormous and. Um, the, the river has sandy beaches and islands. It's like being in the Caribbean. It's incredible. You, you need to have a boat, right? If you've got a boat, it's just a whole game changer. So uh, I do have a boat, but I do plan to buy, I would hope, a much bigger boat. So I do have a boat. I plan to buy an even bigger boat. So, yeah, I do like boating. And uh, when you're a founder, like I am, uh, holidays, time out, as you know, Mina, uh, for me, uh, are not a luxury. So I'm, I'm a workaholic. So I don't, you know, I don't fly places, don't go places. Although I can work anywhere in the world, I've tried to construct my life so it is supposed to be like a holiday. But unfortunately, I work too much. But outside there and downstairs, it's like a holiday. I've got luxury pools. I've got the ocean, all the islands, all the beaches. And uh, yeah, when I'm not at my desk, I can be on my boat, and it is a dream. Literally, it's incredible. Congratulations again. Well, full disclosure to our audience, I was your the advisor for your whole M&A yep. deal, M&A process. So yep. technically, we are both bound under the non-disclosure agreement, so we can't talk too much or too many details or disclose any details about the deal. But I can ask right. you some questions about how you did it. As matter of fact, you have many exits already. You build yep. products when you were kids. So let's go back yep. to your origin story. To the beginning. How did I start? Yes. Um, 
Well, one of the things I told you I was going to do, I'm actually going to write a book and I've started writing my book. And it's really interesting doing that because you get to relive your journey. And that for me is quite incredible because I grew up in Britain. Um, my parents and, and myself and my brother, we lived in the Kentish countryside, which is where all the trees and all the, all the beautiful countryside is you often see on the movies. It's not that great in reality, but it, it looks good on camera. And I, I went to school there. I was dyslexic, had a ton of problems, couldn't learn, couldn't speak, couldn't read, couldn't write. All of these things, all of these holdbacks. So I grew up with three or four friends in the same street. And all of those friends were like super intelligent, passed all their exams, were really good at school. And I just, as a six, seven-year-old, just failed everything. And it really was quite difficult to be around other children that were clever when you weren't. And then on top of that, I had this awful problem of wanting to, one, make things, or two, take things apart, which meant when it was someone's birthday party and they got a new present, I'd just take it apart. I would just take it apart, break it, um, and then I'd get in trouble and then I'd be shut out of their house. And then I felt shut out and all these kind of things. So as a kid, my life was quite difficult. But there was one thing that I had was my imagination and my dream to invent things. And it started off with cardboard boxes. It went on to wood. Then it progressed on to metal by the age I was 10. Um, and then by the age I was 12, I was able to program computers, which with all of my disabilities was really quite incredible. And from that was that where I then started making video games. And that happened because the three kids that I was talking about were very good at playing video games. They would play like Space Invaders and Pac-Man for hours. Like you'd go to their house and their parents would sit in awe that their child could play this game for 10 hours nonstop and get this huge score. And when I got the controller, I would be dead in 10 seconds, right? Just instantly dead. And of course, again, I felt shut out. So being the kind of person I am at that young age, I kind of thought, how can I win? And the answer was, was not to play the games, but was to make them. And that started my career as one of the first indie video game developers of the 80s in Great Britain. Um, and through the course of doing that, which was quite difficult, I ended up landing the contracts for the Outrun Quinop machine, which was the racing car game. You can Google it. It's called Outrun. It's got a Ferrari. It's a very famous uh, Quinop machine. I did that for Sega and Atari. I did Road Blasters. I did about 30 titles um, before I was 18. So that really gave me a really good launch platform for one tech, two business and being in business deals and arrangements, and three just really being a bit of an entrepreneur, learning how to how to navigate life and how to succeed and not lose, even when it feels like you are losing, because generally in life you feel like you're losing. Like it's a human spirit that we feel that we're always losing and not doing as well as we should be. So the gaming industry really got me going. And I got out of that when I was 18, 19 years old. Had a little bit of a nervous breakdown because I was very young, overworked, which is where my obsession of work comes from now. From there, and I don't know how I did it, I had a little bit of money. I was nothing. I wasn't rich. I had a nice car. I had a nice girlfriend. Um, and I had a little house. I was 18, 19 years old. And I swapped my very nice sports car for a Jeep. And I started a newspaper from the from the seat of that Jeep. Within four weeks, oh. I had a local newspaper. It was being delivered to 12,500 houses. It had free ads and paid ads. I was getting revenue from the ads. So it was a subscription business. And I had a reporter and a photographer. Um, and yeah, I was 
nigh on 20 years old. And then when that happened, I asked someone to place an advert for mobile telephones. This is like 1987 for those really big mobile telephones. Um, the guy was very wealthy. He had one of Britain's biggest phone businesses selling phones, which back then wasn't very popular. He didn't want to place an advert. So after I bought myself a brick phone, being an entrepreneur, I said to him, can I buy the phones from you trade? And he said, yes, the phone you just bought for me for £250. Here's my price list. And you could have bought it for minus £20. And that intrigued me. How can the phone be minus £20? And that was all because of the phone contracts and the kickbacks you got if you signed the contract. So from there, I ended up owning a phone business. I set up a phone company, run the adverts in my newspaper, and boom, I now have a phone business and a newspaper. So this was how I started, and this ventured on. Somebody had a garage, placed an advert, met me. I was 20 years old. So you can imagine meeting a 20-year-old with a mobile phone in the 80s, ex-video game designer, newspaper, phone business, Everybody thought I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 25. Um, one chap with a garage said to me, would you come and look after the garage for a week? He said to me, there's all the keys to all the cars. Just keep an eye on the garage. Don't do anything. When he come back, I'd sold all the cars. He then said to me, would you come and run my garage? And five years later, I ended up owning Britain's first internet car showroom. Um, and we sold for 10 years, we sold thousands of luxury cars over the internet. So all of these little things happened to me where the opportunities were there. And I just stepped on every single, single one of them. No fear, no drama, no issue of I can't do it. I just did it. And I've been doing that all my life, as you well know. Wow, you make it sound so easy. So It wasn't easy. So believe me, it was not easy. So if you're gonna, anybody who wants to pack up their day job, anybody who wants to leave the university and be an entrepreneur, you know, I have a saying, you know, Jesus had to walk up a hill with a cross on his back. It wasn't in an Uber. Um, if you think, if you think that life's going to be easy, then it's best to exit. Whatever you do, it's going to be really difficult. And in life, we look at people that are super successful. We look at people that are rich, that are driving fast cars, and we all have this concept that their life is just easy. It's not. We're seeing the good bit. Behind all of that, there's a lot of struggle, a lot of pain, a lot of tears, and a lot of sacrifice. Well, let me unpack those pain then. First of all, I like what you said about if you can play the game, you make the game. I love that. I'll quote that. I'll probably uh, have posted all on the social media. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rent that to you then because I'm an entrepreneur. So I'm going to charge you for that one. Thing. No, I'm not. You can have that. Of course you can have that. I would say my bad. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, before I forget, I have to uh, thank you for inspiring me to rebrand my business or my firm, the firm that I am running. Um, now we successfully rebrand to after the, the institutional uh, approval, the lawyer's work, now we, we brand to virtual film pilot because wow. during our negotiation, I mean, negotiation with the PE firm, you said you are a very good co-pilot. Because mm -hmm. of what yeah. you said, you inspired me to think about, yeah, the name. I, I, it just popped up the next day. It wasn't something I tried to... Um, 
to do. And then I told you Huawei, that's the new name. And it took all these months to get it finally done. So well, congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's the kind of spirit you have to have, right? You, these things pop into your head and you just have to go with it. Sometimes, it, you know, it may make sense. It may not make sense, but there's always a pathway. And I, I do believe in that. I truly believe in that. So congratulations. Yeah, I'll see what other things you will. Um, I can take inspiration of when you say if you can't play the game, make the game. I like that. Very, very good right. place to keep right. thinking about that for life and for everything. Yeah, it's it's very true in life because, you know, we we do, I think, as, as social people, I think that we're all somewhat competitive and we all always feel uh, in competition with people around us and their success and how well they're doing. And I always think, you know, yeah, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. But if you can't beat them, you can actually start your own game. And I think my life story is where I've never really competed with anybody. I've just gone off and started my own game and gone, I'm going to win at that game. I'm going to have success in doing that. But I think in entrepreneurship and in business, especially now, you know, niching, niching products, niching markets is the goal to success for the small person like you and me. Mm -hmm. So when did you sell your first business and how much did you sell it? If you can disclose it after all. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can tell you that. So, um, so the, the very first business I had was when I was about 11 years old and that was a car cleaning business. Um, and I didn't sell that. I was 11 years old. Um, and I was speaking to my mother, who's 83. About a month ago, she came out here and she was saying to me, you know, when you were young, you were always, always worried about what you were going to do when you were older. And I think this was because of all the issues of me failing so badly at school. So I had, I had the car cleaning business when I was like 11, 10, 11 years old. Um, the first business that I sold was, in fact, the newspaper. So the car phone business took on so well. It went so well that I got out of the newspaper. I sold that to the company that was printing it. So I, I, I owned the newspaper. I found a small printing company. They printed it. They folded it. They stapled it. I had a whole bunch of shops and people distributed it. Um, so I sold that, yeah. And I can tell you, I sold it for six and a half thousand pounds which was basically what the rough ad revenue was for a month i seem to recall it was about six and a half to eight thousand pounds which doesn't sound like a lot but then in comparison when i was doing the gaming when i landed the outbound contract i was paid two and a half thousand pounds a month and that was a lot of money in fact i think i was the highest paid indie programmer in the uk of that era Right. So that gives you some kind of idea. So when I sold the paper, it was it was OK. It didn't make me rich. It didn't really give me any money, but it, it got me out of the newspaper. It continued on. And I moved into the car phone market, which at the time was very good because I was making sort of two to three hundred pounds per phone. So that was a good business. Fantastic. How did you know at that young age, you said you hired someone to run your newspaper business? How yep. do you even know who to approach, who to hire, what the criteria for hiring? Because it wasn't, you know, back then it was very simple. It wasn't like, although it was a newspaper and if you saw it, I mean, if you saw the newspaper in the shop or on the street, you would imagine there was a big company with, with 20 people. But in essence, it was just me doing the sales. I had a freelance reporter, a freelance photographer that did the stories, some of what were a bit scandalous at the time, <laughs> because I like that. Um, 
And then, and then we had a printing. We we had a printing company across the street. They did all the printing, and then another company did all of the finishing, which was the folding and the stapling. So it was, I guess, in a way, it was very easily put together. But then, when you consider, like all of my businesses, it was started with zero investment. So when I started that business, I needed to get some money to buy the camera. I needed some money to to publish the first copy. So I made a couple of maneuvers. I needed a desk to work at. So I went to look around the local town in the secondhand shops for desks. Couldn't find one. Went to one shop. The guy said, I've got a garage full of desks and chairs. You're welcome to have a look. He opened up the door and said, look, I don't want all this stuff. I've got to clear it, but you can take a desk out if you want one. And I said to him, how much for the whole lot? So what I then did, I borrowed my girlfriend's Range Rover and her horse trailer, drove it around. I had a hundred pounds, paid him a hundred pounds for the whole lockup of all the office furniture, put it in the back of the trailer, drove back around to all the shops that I'd been to that didn't have any and sold them all for a huge profit. Took one for myself and used the profit to print the first copy of the newspaper. And that is the story of my life, right? I just, I just, it's incredible. It's incredible. Wow. But this is, this is one of the things that I see when I talk to, to people that want to have businesses, that run businesses, that start businesses. They don't seem to understand the concept. It needs to make money, right? And you and I both know <laughs> when, when we, when you read the newspaper and you hear these companies are sold for these large sums of money and we all have these, concepts if we go start a website in 2002 or if we build an app in 2015 if the idea is good we'll get a million dollars for it tomorrow it does not work like that it needs to be profitable it needs to make cash flow right you've got to make cash flow mm-hmm. so all through my life it's cash flow that i've made and i think one of the driving motivators of that is i'm a, i've never had a job in my life I've never had investment, never borrowed any money. I've done it all from a table and all from zero. So the key motivator on day one, it needs to make money, right? So with the newspaper, what I then did was I published just a, just basically a one-page newspaper with the front cover, the back cover. On the inside was all the advertising rates. And me and my girlfriend put them through all of the shops and all the businesses is about sort of 5,000 copies. And then the next day, the phone started ringing. I went out, booked the advertising, brought the money in, paid the printer, got the paper printed, and made the profit. It was that. I say that simple. It was that simple. I don't know how I did it back then, but I was 21, um, a little bit blonder, not so old looking, a bit more charming, and uh, I made it happen. <laughs> Yeah. Do, do you think good look has something to do with it? If you said it's, it's I, don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know because, as you know, we we sold we sold one of the uh, one of the businesses recently, and um, I now work at that company uh, full time at the moment. And when I go into the meetings, I get constant uh, comments about my accent being English gives me an advantage. Say, so, uh, in the beginning, I would always tell them I'm no good at selling. I would say, hey, I'm not a sales guy. I'm no good at you guys are going to sell this like it's hot cakes. And they and the sales manager always say to me, Martin, you are good at selling. Now they say, we think Martin's got an advantage with his English accent. I do think, I mean, let's be honest, I do think that the way you present yourself 
I do think the way you present yourself, the way you talk, the way you are has a definite advantage. If you are able to master walking into a room and getting attention, if you're running a business, that's going to pay off in big dividends. And um, I have older sons in London, and uh, when they walk in rooms, they definitely get a lot of attention, and it, it paid off very, very well for them. So I do think in business, you've got to be a little bit different. When I was doing the games, um, I wrote, read a, a whole bunch of books on how to get rich. Um, and some of them are quite well known. And they also talked about in business, in sales, if you want to do well, you need to stand out. You know, wear a funny color tie, wear a funny color shirt, do something, do anything that makes you memorable. And I, I do believe for me, that memorable thing through all of my life, and, and thank God for that, was the fact that I wrote those games. All through my life now, when I talk to people, having that that pass back that, hey, I made those games, I can't believe you made those games, it gave me something memorable and it helped me elevate my way forward. So, yeah, I think it, it is what it is. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to start at the beginning and you've got to make a, you've got to make a journey. Make, make your life a movie. Make it a journey. Make it a good one. Well, joking aside, I believe good notes and accent have something to do with uh, being able to come across more confident, uh, more credible. But at the end of the day, you also need to be able to sell. So I observed during our M&A process, you were really good in selling. So I immediately told you that you're very good in selling. I should learn about selling from you. Right. So what you can share with uh, the audience, me or other founders, about selling, how do you sell that is yeah more it, a little bit more than a drive-by advice? Yeah, so selling is definitely everything. And again, I can I can look at my own son who's in his thirties, and he is very presentable, very worthy, and really really good at pitching things. So when he even when he talks to me about something, he will tell me about technology or programming things that he's done or his team's done and i'll listen and go like tom that that's like 10 years out of date how can you be so excited about this thing but he is and when he goes and he pitches things he sells them in a way that they're just the, the best thing you could ever have and when you do that people want them so in terms of when you've got a business or if you're pitching your business or if you're trying to get investment or if you're trying to sell your company for sure as we both know you're, you're gonna have to be making money ideally right you're gonna have to be making money you're gonna have to have all of the pieces in place but there's one more ingredient you're gonna have to have you're gonna need a little bit of magic people call it luck but you need a little bit of magic and certainly if you're good at pitching if you're good at selling yourself if you come across confident and if you're credible and that comes back to what i said was now after i've done my deal certainly being the kid that made that game gave me a lot of credibility right it, it made me stand out people all over the company know about me they played the game even today i was in a development meeting and we were playing a game where they said we want to tell two truths and one lie. So they got everybody in the team to tell two truths and one lie. And the idea was we'd all try and guess what was the truth, what was a lie. I won the competition. And when I did that, they said, gee, yours are so difficult to tell which one is true and which one is a lie. 
And the point is, is that I'm very good at telling stories, as you probably can tell. And I think that when you're running a business, you do need a little bit of storytelling because whatever you're going to do in life, whatever you're going to do, right, you're, you're not doing something that's been done. You're doing something that hasn't been done. You're taking some sci-fi fantasy, whatever it might be, and your job is to go out there and make it a vision. And just like my iPhone, I've got it today. It didn't exist 20 years ago. 20 years ago, that was sci-fi technology. If somebody had said to me, I'm going to make a phone, it's going to be flat. I'm going to allow you to talk to Mina on a podcast. I would go, you're talking rubbish. It's a reality. So whether you like it or not, people say it's disillusionment. People say you're misleading people. You are going to have to go out and you're going to have to tell a fantasy. And as you tell it, you're going to have to pivot it, change it, right? Rework it. And then when you finish telling it, you've got to get off that screen share or get out of that meeting, go back home, and you've got to make that a reality. And that is the trick of doing it. You've got to be able to conjure up an idea, and it might seem ridiculous. But if you're good enough at pitching it, and if you can back it up, if you truly believe in it, you can make it a reality. And my life is proof to that. All through my life, I've had these opportunities. I've seen these things I could do. I've pitched them. I've sung them, told the stories about them, been out there and sold them. But I made them all a reality. And I think that's very important. And it isn't just with business. It's even with material things, right? If you're, if you're an entrepreneur, we talked about boats, right? If you're doing these things, one way you can help yourself, and, and we all know, you don't want to blow all your money on boats and on cars. So I've done that. Do not do that. <laughs> but as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to have something to motivate you, right? You can't just do it for nothing. You have to have some vision in your mind of when you get there, how is your life going to be? How are you going to be? What kind of person are you going to be? How are you going to look? What will people think of you? And so having these visions and believing in them is a really powerful thing. And I really believe in this. I do this a lot. I, I tend to try to manifest things. And it, it really works big time. Let's make it to even more practical way of how exactly you tell a story. You said your newspaper subscription when you were starting right. the business was uh, 12,500. How did 12, you tell the 500 copies? Yeah. Yeah. How did you, so that means uh, that many families are buying it. How did you sell your story to this many people? Yeah, so let's be clear on that. It wasn't the people reading it that were paying for it. It was the people that were advertising. So there were 12,500 copies distributed. And then it had, mm. I don't know how many pages were in it in, in the last one that I did. It might have been like 40 pages. There were four pages to a sheet. So I, it was a long time ago. But my, my job was to fill it with advertising. So we did full-page adverts, half-page adverts, and they were done on subscriptions. So all I had to do was to go out into the street, find businesses, and basically sell them advertising space, which, you know, probably today, if I went to do that, would, I would say would be quite hard to do. I, even me as an entrepreneur, I, there's a lot I haven't, there's a lot that I've done, a lot I haven't done. But if someone said to me, go out and fill that newspaper, I'd go, that's going to be a tall order. But I, I managed to do it. I guess I was young. I was charming. I was fearless. You know, I think as well, when you're young, you are fearless. As we get older, we learn more. 
and then we'll become a bit more negative about what is possible and what isn't possible. I think I've told you about my daughter. She earns no money. She makes no money, but she has got everything she wants. And although we can look at that and go, well, she's a child and you're an adult and you're buying it. In reality, when I watch her at work, she will come into my office or she will walk into the kitchen and go, I really want this one thing. And when I was younger, I used to do the, exactly the same thing. I really want this one thing. And oh, if I had this one thing, this is what's going to happen. And she would persist with this on a frequent basis. And then lo and behold, a week, a month later, you walk in her bedroom and there it is. <laughs> I think as adults, we... You know, we build barriers around success, right? We start we start thinking about our lives in terms of limitations. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, they're going to say this. Oh, they're going to say that. I think, you know, the secret, don't do that. Don't, don't worry about any of that. Just say, I need to sell the advertising space and I will sell it and not worry about the negativity. Um, and certainly from my experience, I think everybody in business is doing that. We're all doing the same thing, right? We're all just believing in our product, pitching it and trying to deal with the negativity when people say no. True. In my early early entrepreneurship, I tend to take weeks to recover from a rejection. Now it's just like, okay, move on to the next because you believe. Yeah, you believe you can help people, so you're not wasting your time on people that you cannot help. If you say no, it means you cannot help them. It doesn't matter in reality whether you can help or not. No, you're so right. It is, it's astounding when you think about it, how many people, how many times we have businesses and we have a service and a product. And, you know, we might have enough customers and, but we could have the potential to get a lot more. Right. But we don't do it because to go and get more is hard work. We've got to suffer that rejection. Right. And that rejection is painful. But in reality, if you really want to get, if you want to get to that special place, if you want to get to that exceptional point, you're going to have to think differently. You're going to have to go, do you know what? If it, if it all goes wrong, it all goes wrong. I'll recover from it. But as you say, you just have to, uh, my mum used to say, you know, pick up your sword, pick up your shield, have an English cup of tea and soldier on. And she said that all my life. And it is just so true. If, if you want to be an entrepreneur, rejection something you're going to have to get good at. I think that's probably the biggest lesson everyone has to get through it, um, especially people who grow up in the corporate world. I was one of them because in the corporate ladder, you kind of, um, if you work a little bit harder, you're a little bit smarter than everyone else, then you progress very fast. So there's very little rejection and you just can't take it when the rejections actually happen. You just can't take it because for your whole life, you think everything's supposed to happen that way without right. rejection. And, but then the business teach you a real life lesson. So I, I, yeah. I enjoy business. I enjoy building things because it's, it's what real life is about. Well, at least to us who build things. Right. And also when you're, you know, when you're, I think for me, you know, I'm a bit of a control freak. And, um, you know, when, if you're in the corporate world, I kind of feel, 
like probably you don't have as much control of your of your success in in some in somewhat but when you're an entrepreneur i really think you've got really strong control right so if you if you do get rejected or if something isn't going your way it's a lot easier for you to pivot in your entrepreneurship for your business as opposed to you know, working in a corporation with a job where, you know, you're doing something and your options to pivot probably aren't so, so great, right? So uh, I, I definitely agree. But, you know, we know when we did, when we did the PE deal, you know, it was a long, grueling process and it was a risky one. And it it's interesting because you go into those, you go into those deals when when you first get called up and and these PE companies, they ring you up, they're incredibly charming. And they start asking you a whole bunch of questions and you sort of sort of go, hey, just stop. Just can I just tell you this business is just me. It's just this product. There's nobody else. This is our turnover. This is our money. And you're thinking they're never going to be interested. But of course, one or two of them are. Many of them aren't, but one or two of them are. And then you start thinking, well, they're never going to do this. But you go through this pathway as we did. And we sound so many phone calls like this one on screen shares and we go through and through and as you go through you keep trying to tell yourself hey this is no big deal this is not going to happen i'm just doing it because hey i'll just do it to see where it goes but as you go through it the stakes go up and you get to a point where it's everything to you right you you want it to happen you believe it's going to happen and you find yourself at that point and at that point as you said you you can be rejected it can all go wrong and that that's a dangerous thing, right? It's a dangerous thing because you put you put so much into it, right? Yeah, usually, uh, typically in those situations, I usually like we talk about scenario planning. When I show you your projections, I'm like, well, you could make a lot more money if you don't yeah. sell that. All of a yeah. sudden, it, it doesn't matter. Right? But from a commercial point of view, as you know, through the whole. One of the things that I did, one of the, the, the games that I played, and it was true, was I don't need to sell this business. Like if I stay in this business, I'm going to get rich anyway, right? I don't need to sell it, right? I'm mm-hmm. it's going like this. I said, I believe I can double my turnover in 2023, and I still believed I could do that. Um, and I stuck to that game, and I believed it. You saw me do it. I, it was a sales pitch, but I believe. That with that business, it would just make me super rich regardless. And that was a powerful thing because if you've got something, if you're buying something and the buyer doesn't want to sell it, it makes you want it more, right? So it's mm-hmm. a powerful way to do it. But regardless of all of that, it works both ways. Had, had I got to the very end and the deal had gone through, as much as I know I'm going to get rich and the business is great, you feel that personal rejection, sure. right? Sure. And no, no one likes that, right? No one likes that personal rejection. Well, yeah, it's hard to imagine that morning. It was 6 a.m. for my location. It's probably a yeah. little bit later for you. Imagine yeah. that still didn't go through. We didn't close. It will be a very different day. Don't don't say uh, that. Yeah, even me <laughs> now, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it did go through. It did go through. Yes, and, yeah. um and after that phone call, I, I came here onto this balcony and, um, I, uh, and my wife was here. We have a, uh, we have a house carer. She was here 
and uh, my wife got a bottle of champagne. I think the children were here. I think the children might have even been in the pool. But my wife and our and our and our maid was here, and we had a glass of champagne, and it it was a surreal moment because I think as I you know as I've said, I I built that business from a table. I built that business with zero investment, zero help, not one person put one hand into that business from start to finish, other than the the time we spent together when we sold it at the very end. Um, and to go through that journey was incredible. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. I would, I, I would, yeah. I would, I would suggest that anybody tries it. It's, it's, it's grueling. And the funny thing was, I remember when we spoke and you talked about like, Hey, you know, have a weekend off, have some time out, take a rest, prepare yourself. And I kind of sort of thought, what are you talking about? Like, why do I need to take a bit of a break? But, as we went through it, I started to realize, wow, Mina was right. It was grueling. The stress, the pressure, it was because we were we were in meetings. I don't know. I think it was two, three times a week, if not more. We It seemed we were constantly going into meetings, constantly asked. We were constantly being asked questions by anything from one to 20 people. We were under constant fire. And then when we wasn't under fire, we were out of the meeting. And luckily, and praise the Lord that I had you, I had you doing all of the paperwork, all of the financials, just doing all of that behind the scenes administration that made it happen. And without that, without that, it would never have happened. But then without your support being on those calls, it would never have happened. I think we mentioned that wingman thing and as a solo founder you you're gonna need a wingman you're, you're not gonna walk that on your own my gosh no not not at the level that we were doing it right we when we did that deal we did have other deals and i'd had other deals before then i'd rejected deals and they were far from either a small group four or five investors a small group of people or it could be a guy or two that had sold something, got some money and wanted to buy a SaaS business. This was a full-scale PE company with all of the whack behind them. And it was <laughs> grueling. It really was. My God. Yeah, when you mention whack, <laughs> I mean, the billions, they just waste billions of dollars. So they have the oh. manpower, they have the money power, everything. Yeah. And uh, we make it simple for them and for us too. So. Actually, it wasn't it simple. But yeah, you did. Yeah, you did make it <laughs> yeah. simple, but it wasn't simple. Yeah, but you did. Thank you. Uh, I did one thing. It only works when you're open to it. Like it will work really well because we are both very calm, at least on the surface, to analyze things, to to talk about strategies, and to play roles. So all those things play out really well, and it is a good chemistry, basically. Yeah, and I think also um, it's worth mentioning that I think we we work well together because I think we we fill in with each other, right? There's things that you're very good at, and there's things that I'm good at, and as a team we bring that as a complete as a completeness. I, I'm not, you know, particularly I'm not very corporate based. I don't understand all the administration, all the terminology, all the financials, any of those things, and you. You filled that all in, which was incredible. And also, I think you brought 
I'm not sure the word would be, but you brought an essence of something. I'm not quite sure what it was. I can't think of the word at the moment, but you brought that to the table. And at the time, I remember the first phone call, the first, the first Zoom meeting that we did. I think there was 30 of us. And I think it was just myself and you. And I remember just thinking, like, thank God, thank God I've got Mina. My gosh, like to be there on your own doing that would have been definitely tough. Yeah. But we did it. It was a good deal. We did it. Yeah. And yeah. I also enjoy getting to know your wife and your beautiful daughter. She's so cute. I still yeah. remember her face, night eating ice yeah. cream, all those yeah. things. I have a few more questions I would like to ask you specifically about this startup you just saw without getting into details about the deal itself. I'm uh-huh. interested to know how did you feel it and how do you know that uh, it's something that people want? Yeah, good question. Well, actually, I didn't. I, I've had many tech, tech businesses, right? This one uh, came about. It came about because, well, Back into the well, bit of a funny story because I I, I gonna be careful where I'm trying to think how I can pitch this without giving away who the buyer is, right? Um, so I was building around about 2010, 2011, there was an explosion on the internet into a certain sort of application, into a certain sort of market, right? Call it call it e-commerce or commerce. I was building a product on an iPad to go into that market. And I actually was doing quite well. I was getting a lot of attention. A lot of, a lot of PE companies were calling me up and they wanted to pre-invest because the market was so hot. Um, I was building a product and at the time I had another business and that business uh, was in the UK. I was living in Brazil. And that business was doing well, but it was kind of struggling a little bit. And I didn't want to get too involved in it. And so being an entrepreneur and a programmer and being lazy, I decided that what I would do is I would build a product to help run the business. Build the product, give them the product. They'll use the product. The product will build how I think it should be done. They'll use the program and it will all go great. So I did that and it actually worked. It all went great. Company grew, went really well, and that company was sold, right? So the company went so well after building that product, it was sold. But that steered me off track from this other thing that I was building. And so I was a bit of a predicament, like, well, what do I do now? I've got this product that I built for this company that's built for this company. I've got this half-finished product, and now I'm probably a bit behind the market. Where shall I go? And I decided I would go with this product that I built for this company. And I thought, well, look, it's worked for them. I'm sure it will work somewhere else. I will take the product, rebuild it, make it more commercial, and try and sell it. And that's why I did. And so this product was born. Um, in the early days, I had to sit up night and day. I sold it in Australia. I sold it in the UK. I sold it in America. I sold it all over Europe. So I spent all of my time just selling it. And in the same respect, when I was doing that, when I was demoing it and when I was pitching it, I was listening to the customer's rejections, making notes. And when the call ended, I was modifying the product, right? That's the name of the game. I was like, right, I need to modify the product. So by doing that, I was able to pivot and then carve the product into its niche markets. And that allowed it to be successful. The biggest thing with that business was, is all of the businesses that I've had in the past, they always had so many customers, I didn't have enough product. 
So the problem in the past, like the car businesses and all those businesses, I had queues and queues and queues of customers that didn't have enough products. When I did this one, I remember saying to my wife, I'm not going to worry about marketing. I always have enough customers. I'm going to focus on the product. And that was the first business where I really, truly focused on product. The downside was, is once it got going, because I didn't want to bring in a team or lots of people, I just wanted to keep it as a solo founder. Um, it was very, very difficult to do the sales, do the development, do the support and manage those things. So the, the growth was a little bit slow. But in saying all of that, at the point of where we sold it, I'd got to a point where it was about to, to go. And I think that also is an important thing with a business is that when you sell your business, you want to sell it when you don't want to sell it. And I did not want to sell that business. Every day I come here for my morning cup of coffee and I do think like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have sold it. But then I think, yeah, it was a good thing to sell it. It was the right move. If you sell it when you don't want to sell it, you sell it at the right time. Because as we were saying earlier on, when you're pitching that business, when you're going through that, if you don't want to sell it, if it's going to fly, it comes over. People can feel that. And if you're trying to sell it when you don't want it, if you don't want it, nobody else is going to want it. And it's very true. I, I mentor for a number of businesses. And when I'm talking to them and you hear their issues and their problems and they want to get out of their business and it's not going very well and you listen to them and you go, you're not going to sell it. You're not going to sell it because if you don't want it, who else would want to sit in that driving seat and do that if you don't want to do it, right? So we were very lucky with the business that we sold that I was very happy to do it. And it was at a point where it was about to fly, right? From what you just mentioned, I got two more quotes from you. It's like listening to the rejection. So it's probably one of the best advice about product development and sales in that matter. And the second thing is that sell it when you want to keep it because yeah. so many founders actually came to me and said, I'm so exhausted. I don't want it anymore. Can I sell it? Right. So that doesn't inspire um, success, basically, right. if we just make it a, a simple term. When you're desperate, it is a hard time to sell or to do, do anything in that matter. The timing is everything. And I think if you are an entrepreneur, if you're building a business, if, you're, if you've got an idea, say it's an app and you're going to build the app, I think that now with all the experience that I've learned through my entire journey from the early days of the car washing business when I was 12 up to selling this business, now I, I just see it completely different. Now, when I'm thinking up that business idea, what I'm actually doing is I'm thinking about after I've sold it, I'm going like, Here's an idea, and after I solve this idea, this is what's going to happen. So what do I need to do to get to that point, and will that idea even get me to that point, right? It's I'm always looking at the exit, right? I'm thinking, how am I going to exit that idea? Can I exit it? Can I sell it? Will somebody want it? And I think that on that basis, when you have the business and it's bringing in loads of cash and it's flying and you're scaling it, I think you've got to be really, really careful that you you know where you are and you stick to your plan. If you plan to exit, you want to be exiting as it's as it's flying or before it's about to fly. 
because mm-hmm. certainly the buyer's gonna the buyer's gonna see that right the buyer wants potential mm-hmm. they they and also the buyer wants to think that you know a common thing when businesses get sold it's very common that the buyer will look at the current owner and will go hey that person's not very good at this and that person doesn't get this and that person doesn't get that and if we get it we do get that and it's going to fly right is you you have to have that kind of perception of potential and where you're holding it back. And certainly with the business that, that we sold, all of that could be seen as a solo founder, right? It was it was crazy that an app of that magnitude could have one person behind it. It's just like, really? Like if we put a hundred people behind that, that is just gonna go, right? So it is in the right hand because they have more capital to be with much bigger. And yeah, congrats. Uh, you yeah. sometimes making the right decision at the right moment is quite important. As a matter of talking about decision, how did you get, I, if I remember correctly, you got a few of your big customers even to fund your early development. How did you do right. that? How did you persuade yeah. them that it's good for them? Yeah, so um, one of the things that I did, like with the newspaper, is when I when I started the app in the very beginning and you're going out, one thing that obviously I did was I identified a niche market. I, I saw a niche market. I saw the need for a product that companies didn't have. And so when I found those companies, and of course there was a lot of rejection, they would be like, yeah, well, we've got this problem. We're doing these things and, and we're struggling and we can't find a product that fits. They saw a number of things. One, they saw I had something that nearly fitted, but it needed some additional things. Two, because of my credibility of video games, they knew that I was a good developer. So they saw an opportunity where maybe I could build them the product they needed. And when that came up in many of the sales calls was then a game where I used my entrepreneurship and my experience that what I actually did was really smart. I carved a number of deals. I made deals with those companies where I said to them, for example, hey, I, I will build all of this for you. It might take a year and I won't charge you. I'm not going to charge you. If you went to a developer, it would cost you a fortune. You would need to manage it, have all of those problems. IT projects fail more than they succeed. Pay me nothing. I will do it, but in return, when it's done and when you use it, you give me this. I made a number of deals that were based on turnover, which is ridiculous. I was able to make effectively verbal contracts that said I would get a 10% cut of the company's turnover for using my product. What then happened was the product made their business boom. So back in those early days, they looked at their business and went, hey, 10% only X amount. It's not a lot of money. What they didn't know was what effect I'd have on their business. So the minute I got into that deal, their businesses boomed and I made a lot of money just out of those small contracts. They were really powerful. So another example of how I went into meetings, went into deals and found ways to give value. So even my wife would sometimes say, why are you doing all this work? No one's paying you. And I would say to her like, Believe me, when you when you give value, it will come back. And I gave value by the bucket load, and it, it came back really, really well. And I've done that all my life. I believe 
even now I'm, I'm now working at this company i believe that if i give value if i put value in value comes back and i i do believe as an entrepreneur that you need to solve problems first you need to give value to people and if you do that in return the value comes back but don't forget the first rule cash flow is everything right you need that cash flow <laughs> Yes, that that's why we have this podcast is about cash flow. So when you have cash flow, actually, it makes even uh, angel investing, which is the market I'm in as an angel investor. We look at the cash flow. Like a lot of founders also have the idea that they don't need to make any money, and then they can just ask for money. It it happens, but it makes it very difficult. Maybe only like zero point zero 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 one percent of pitch that will happen. But if you are making cash flow, uh, it happens most of the time. If you can show people how much money you are making, you can attract either bigger money later, early angel investing, or you can attract exit, just like in your case. So cash flow is so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you see so many times you see founders make that mistake of starting a business, listening to accountants tell them that in the first year you don't need to be profitable, listening to the idea that you need to borrow money, but then getting into this situation where they actually just completely forget you need to be profitable, right? You need to be profitable. You need to make money. Um, And I see that time and time again, right? It's so important. It's it's all very good to borrow money. It's all very good to not be profitable in your first year, but you need to make sure that after that first year, you start thinking about, hey, we're selling at X, we're buying at Y, we need to make something in the middle, right? We need to make a profit. So important. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. You build a business, that the one that you just saw over a few years, recently during our conversation, you mentioned that with generative AI, you can build many products pretty much overnight. Yeah. Maybe I'm exaggerating. So I use uh, ChatGPT4 as well as BingChat. One yep. thing I found them in the beginning is very surprisingly good. Now it's getting repetitive and a little bit oddly generic for that matter. So how do you use it to build products that's different and that solve a problem? And not just one, uh, I think you're building five products at a time. So how did you do it? Uh, What kind of prompts are you using that make it work? So the way, so so first of all, so like if we look at the landscape or look at my journey, right, as a solo. So one of my, one of my key things is never, never had any aspirations to have what I would call a glass building with 50 people working in it. And I'm the CEO. I just, I'm not a people person. Um, I don't, I don't think that is my destiny and it isn't something I've ever aspired to want to do. Some founders aspire to that. They, they start a business and their, their aspiration is to employ loads of people, have a nice big building and that is their idea of success. So as a solo founder in the old days, pre, pre chat GPT, it causes a problem because you know, if you're going to start a business, number one, you need an idea, you need an idea. Number two, you need to build it number three you need to test it validate it five sell it right six support it seven on board it eight make it profitable nine iterate it 
And with all of that, you've got all your marketing and everything else. And we talk about talk about SaaS products. One of the things is when you, if you look at apps on the internet, go on Google, find an app, Google the app, log into the app, get an account, start using it. Very easy as an entrepreneur to look at that app, scrutinize it and go, hey, I could do this. The amount of effort to take the one thing that that app does, but then wrap it in everything that enables find it, pay for it, use it, and that little app. So when you've got your idea, if you think, oh, I can build my little idea in three months, you're going to need another year or even two to get it fully wrapped as a business and running, bringing you in money as a SaaS application. Now, so you can use ChatGPT to do all of that work for you. So if you have a business idea, you can validate it with ChatGPT. So now I can have a conversation with what I would say is realistically one of the world's best validators of products. I can go, I've got an idea for a product. This is what it is. This is what it does. And it will say, I like the idea of your product. This will resonate with the following people. I can then say to it, can you tell me some markets that would like this product? Can you rewrite this product in a way that people can understand it? Can you write me a mission statement? Can you write me a paragraph, a page? Can you can you tell me what features would that product need to resonate in that market? Okay, can we take a feature? Can you now help me build that feature? What information do they need to enter? How do they see need to see it? What wording should be on screen? What help text should be on screen? Can you write me the, oh, I've made the feature. Can you now write me the help article to use it? Everything it will do for you in a split second. And if you know how to command it, it will do it exceptionally well. Even down to the point where you then go, well, I need to sell it. I've got to build the website. I need to make the homepage. Can we make the homepage? Can we do the call to action? Can we do the sales pitch? Uh, We need to do the emails for our outbound BDR. Um, hey, this is a great idea that we've got. Can we have five minutes on the phone with you to talk about it? It can write all of those emails. So all of these things that I used to do, and it wasn't just the time of me doing them. It was me talking to myself going, who would use this idea? Is it a good idea? How do I pitch it? All of that time I was spending, I now spend with ChatGPT. And where it would take me months and months of me running it over in my head, ChatGPT is doing it for me in a millisecond. So for me now, there's never been a greater time to build apps and build businesses because that that tool I now see as that company of 50 people that I never aspired to have, but now I have. And I think in the future, we're going to see that really accelerate. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what what kind of ChatGPT you're using. Are you pay Are you paying the subscription to get this kind of details? Because I'm using a free version. It doesn't seem to give yep. me the similar type of details or background. So you're paying. You're doing the paid version. Right. I'm using the paid version. I'm using. Uh, I use both version four and I think version three. Um, I just use uh, OpenAI, but it. For me, it's just, it's incredible. I've been coding since I was 12 years old. There's nothing really I don't think that I couldn't make or write, and I don't believe that. Um, But I use ChatGPT now to not only make my code, but also when I've made the code to validate it. And even in the apps that I build, there are things, features that I would like to make, but I just don't have the time 
to apply myself to what might be a complex problem. Because when you're running an app, there's so many things that you're doing. You can't spend four weeks coding or a whole day coding. Now I can just go to ChatGPT. I've got an app. This is what it does. I want to add this feature. What would the feature do? It will then tell me. Um, how would the person want to use that feature? It will then tell me. And I can then say to it, and you build it for me, and it will start doing it. Um, it can be a bit frustrating. I have to admit, You now if you listen to my office, you will hear me swell it, swearing and yelling at somebody. And it is chat. It is chat. I do actually get really frustrated with it. When you get into complex problems, that's when the cracks start to shine. When you start building code and it doesn't work, because of the limitation of how much it can remember, it starts yeah. forgetting what you've done and it starts repeating itself. And that that is definitely very frustrating. Yeah. I see. I see. So for more complicated area, yeah. you still need to be follow up with it carefully. But for simple things, like when I used to do coding, um, it, it took right. me a long time to find out where's my why it didn't work. I, I think it should work. And then if I put that into, for example, ChatGPT, it will tell me, oh, you just need a comma or something. Something right. very different, right. very small. Think, and I think this is important. Is that for me, it's not going to do things. It's not doing things I can't do. I know how to do them. It's not telling me things that I don't necessarily know or know how to find out. It's just doing it for me much, much quicker. So because, for example, if I'm programming, I would try to get it to do it for me first go. If it does it, it works great. If it doesn't work, then maybe after two or three attempts, I don't have to go, okay, it's not going to do it. I'll need to do it. And then I'll go in, I'll fix it, and I'll tell it, hey, I fixed that problem. This is how I did it. It's not perfect. It's like working with an employee, right? You know, you can't expect – if you go an employee marketing person, you're the CEO, you can't expect that marketing person to have an instant answer to your problems. You're going to have to guide them through it. They're going to get some things right. They're going to get some things wrong. Chat GPT is exactly the same. You've got to treat it like an employee, right? You've got to think of it like one of us, not think of it like it's supposed to be some all all singing, all purpose AI that's going to be perfect to everything. It isn't. By the way, the game. I remember you're very good with SEO as well. Do you think with Chat GPT, people? don't need to learn or do much about SEO because it's more Google-focused? SEO is something we've not talked about. And through certainly since millennium, all of my businesses have been powered through organic SEO. So all of the money I've made since millennium has been due to my ability to rank my businesses number one on Google. And when I say number one, obviously the trick then is to niche. And one of the things I did there, going back to the business we talked about, like 2010, where I built the program for it, um, I was able to niche that business number one in the UK for its market, and it, it made it the biggest player in its field. I've always been able to do that. And I think, again, if you're an entrepreneur, understanding how, even in 2023, how to use SEO, how to position your business on Google is really important. Chat GPT can definitely 
help you do that. I use it to do that, right? Um, but again, you, you're going to have to understand the mechanics of how that's done. Because the secret with any business, certainly now and in the future, is niching, right? Being able to find a niche for your business. Where we're in a global marketplace, right? Like if you look at what you do, you're in a global market. How many buyers are there for your business? There are tens and tens of thousands, more than you could probably ever process, right? So the Mm -hmm. secret is to niche into the ones that really fit what you do, where you can make the maximum amount of money, right? And that's where the Mm -hmm. SEO and the online marketing can really kick in. Before I ask my last question, where can people find you or connect with you or as a matter of fact, do you want to be fine? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you'd find me. You'd find me by connecting with Mina. Um, I don't have any social network accounts at all, which you probably know. Um, I do have an email address. You can email me at martin at inc, I-N-C, 64.com, or you can contact me through Mina. But no, I don't have any social network presence at all, which, you know, probably we haven't spoken about that, but that's just not something that I have ever harnessed. I'm just not a social networker. I think probably through this whole podcast, it's pretty obvious. I'm not much of a people person. Talking to you, it would probably come across that I'm really good, or I might be quite good at talking to people or selling, but in my natural environment, you'll find me in a in a dark room with 10 screens on my own, building something and doing what I do. And I am a little bit of a loner. And as I said, I just don't, I just don't have that connection power with people, unfortunately, apart from you, of course. Hard to imagine from my point of view, but thank you. My last question is, with all the money you make, what kind of investments have you made to build your wealth? Yeah, absolutely. So that's another thing that over those years I've learned. So in the early years of making money, of course, when you were young, as my son also was, you know, as a young man, you go out and you buy expensive cars and fast cars and expensive watches and all of those great things to get the attention of young ladies. Um, but as you get a bit older um, and a bit wiser, you realize there's more important things. So. Um, yes, I, uh, with all the money I make now, generally I invest it. So generally all I think about now is where I can invest my money and living in Brazil where I am. Uh, one of the things here that I'm able to do very, very well is buy property. Um, and so what my, my wife and I have done is we've bought, uh, quite a nice portfolio of luxury property along the riverfront both, and, uh, we fit those properties out. In fact, we just we bought some offices last year before we did the deal, and those offices were going to be my first ever office that I've ever owned to work in. Um, but as I sold the company, I decided that maybe having an office is a bit of a luxury. And so yesterday, I signed a one-year deal, cash up front to rent the office space, um, which I'm not surprised because it's beautiful. It's it's on the side of the river. It's fully fitted. Um, so yeah, we invested in property and uh, I would say we've done very well from it. And I would say with the Brazilian market, with the inflation here, um, right. obviously compared to US dollar and UK pounds, uh, because of the inflation, every, all the dollars that I put into the Brazilian uh, real and into property, because of inflation, it's just going up by 10, 15% a year on its own, regardless of the house or the commercial market or the rental mm-hmm. market. And in the city that I'm in, it's just so buoyant. The cash flow in this city is just crazy. 
Um, so yeah, I feel that's a good thing to do. Um, I do have other investments, but I don't make any, I don't do any crypto investments, anything like that at all. No, I, I had a lot of people in me to do crypto and I was telling them not to do crypto. And then as you know, the crypto market crashed pretty awful. Um, but I think crypto is a very good thing to invest in. I just believe that, you know, it's very important in life to do things that you understand. Don't kid yourself and think you know it all. Do do things that you think you're good at. And for me, I like to see my money. So I buy property. I can physically view it out the window, which is nice. Um, and uh, I like to understand it. And I sort of understand the property market. Crypto, um, my son gets involved in. He has made a lot of money out of crypto. And he clearly understands it. So good for him. So I think also as an entrepreneur, it's very important to do what you do best. And not not go off on tangents and confuse yourself that you're a master of everything because I'm certainly not. Well, if I can help to make this more clear, your son make a lot of money from crypto because he has a startup. Uh, right. Crypto. Uh, he got um. Yes. Ten million funding. Last time we talked, he might be getting yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. So just as an example, so I mean, Tom. Tom is a. A way better version. I mean, Tom, Tom is me on steroids tenfold. <laughs> Tom, Tom, um, through, uh, through, through his uh, late twenties, he was he appeared on America Got Talent um, in 2017. He was a he was a tech magician, very very well. Got a lot of exposure through America's Got Talent, um, and then spent some time with me messing around programming. Um, when he was younger, I wanted him to get into programming and get into get into building software systems. But you know, when kids are young, they want to do their own things. He wasn't so interested in it then. After doing the magic, he became more interested in it. Um, and being the great dad I am, I just sort of let him get on with it and didn't try to get or didn't get involved in it. Just let him do his own thing. And uh, one day he told me he'd made a, a crypto a crypto game, which I kind of like shrugged at. Um, and then three months later, he told me he did a land sale. And I think he made $3 million in one week. And then 12 months later, the company was valued at 150 mil. And he did a 10 million raise on the company. And now both Tom and my other son, Bill, uh, run that game in London. And they, they yeah, they're doing really, really well. So that just shows you he's got exactly the same spirit as me starts everything from nothing from a table um but he's way better at it than what i'd ever be he's a better person people be a, a better person uh people person he's a better speaker he's just he's just a way better version so yeah they've done really 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 well and they're making games. Isn't that incredible? That, that's, yeah, that's just like you said. If you can, well, I'm sure they can both play it and make it. You are probably very uh, proud of your kids. You're proud of the startup you built, but I think you're pretty much even more proud with a few kids that they're all seem yeah. to be very um, well-balanced, very simple yes. kids well, I think, and you know, happy kids. When I Right. When I look back to, you know, in those early beginnings when I was making those games, Tom was born, Tom was born 91. So around about the time that I just started the, the, the car business in the UK. So, um, I'd got into cars, was still doing car phones. 
Um, and the car business was interesting because that that business took off because I built a software program that connected 10 fax modems and it allowed me to message all six and a half thousand garages in the UK to find the cars. That made that business fly. But Tom was around in those days and he was very young, living in the house with all those fax machines running all night long, like making thousands of phone calls. Um, and of course, he saw me doing those things. And it's just incredible that now he's doing the same thing, but just a little bit more differently. But yeah, I'm very, very proud. And um, it's incredible to see that happen, especially the fact they're making games. That's just incredible. And it's very incredible and satisfying to see founders like you making a lot of cash flows, building wealth. Um, that's why we have this podcast. And thank you for being our first guest. Thank I you can for having talk, me. I can talk with you for hours. There's probably way more things I want to ask you than the time I'm out. We didn't talk about the struggles, which is That's what it's, true. you know, when you, when you hear these stories, there's one, one message I want to leave. It, it feels like and it sounds like that maybe it's a relatively successful journey, right? There's been some success along the way. But with me and even with Tom, Right. That, that success has come with real struggle. Both of us have really had to fight demons and struggles to get where we are and to get those successes. So it, it hasn't been easy, but, um, it's definitely been a lot of fun. I think the difficult part as a founder and investor myself, I understand, well, with many failures too. I do understand the, the struggles come with dealing with our own emotions. That's probably the most difficult part. Whatever, no matter how well we do, um, like in the morning, I was, I usually feel really good. It's the best day ever every day. And then at night, I have all these negative talks, wondering about what I did wrong. And it's just like, oh, all right. God, this makes, yeah, this is I'm the opposite. I'm the opposite. I'm the opposite. Oh, wow. In the morning, in the morning, I'll do all of that, like wake up early, go for a walk, you know, go start going through the negative and then start trying to go, okay, let's just stop that. What do we need to do today? Like, what do we need to do today to get? So, yeah, I, it's normal, Mina. You know, as you said, I think you're so right. It's the emotional struggle. It's not easy. It's not easy. Because you, as we said in the beginning, you know, you don't know where you're going. You're making, you're making the future. There, there's no certainty what that's going to be or what it's going to lead to. But certainly when you're having those morning walks, whatever you dream up in your mind, whatever vision you have, if you can be really explicit, even emotional about it, there's no doubt. That if every day you wake up and you do it, eventually you will surely you will surely get there. And I think my story is testament to that. Right? Is that mm -hmm. I struggled through those forty years to get to get to where I wanted to be, and finally I got there. Right? Be careful what you dream for, and make sure you make it good. Yeah. 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 Uh, I look forward to hear many of your stories. And looking forward to reading your book. So make sure that when you're publishing your book, maybe we'll come back to do a follow-up podcast. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we should. Yeah, you have to read it first thing. But it's been a pleasure being with you. I've enjoyed our chat.
Thank you. And uh, yeah, it's probably getting late in your location, Brazil. By the way, one day I would love to visit the Amazon River. I always talk about that's one of my bucket list to do, um, seeing the pink dolphin. I'm not sure. Are they still around? Well, funny enough, we um, when we every weekend we go out on the boat with the children and we go to a very beautiful beach. It's, it's no one there. It's very quiet. Um, there might be a few local people making a barbecue, and you can you can buy some fish there, and they'll barbecue it on the beach. But what we do in the morning is we run the boat across the Amazon to the other side. It takes about half an hour, and on the other side, the children can go in the water and they swim and play with the pink dolphins, and they do that every weekend. So they go in the wow. water, and about seven or eight, yeah. Seven or eight pink dolphins will come in and, and they swim around and, yeah, feed them fish. Yeah, they're still there. And there's loads of them. Yeah, they're in the water. Wow. You can just stop the boat, jump out into the water. And, yeah, I'll send you a video. Yeah, you must come. It is actually insane, like, how it's just incredible to be an entrepreneur, to be running tech business, this is over the internet and then to be able to get in a boat go to an island and then sit there with you know indians and local people and swim with dolphins it's a little bit surreal but i do i do again believe this is what i tried to manifest was a lifestyle where when i'm not working it's like a paradise and it, it certainly is like that i'm very blessed fantastic if i can remind the founders you do work 60 70 hours before you sold the company. So maybe yeah, you do and, yeah. after you have a yep. break. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. Everyone will get your tips about how to run a beautiful life swimming with the pink dolphin. So thank you so much. We will talk soon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate it and I appreciate you. Thank you, Mina. Thank you. And enjoy your three weeks. Do send me your video. Yeah, oh, cannot wait. <laughs> cannot wait. One more day. Thank you for listening. If you find this podcast valuable and would like to help build the small fish big money movement, please subscribe and leave us a review or comment. Until next time, keep the game going.